Anyway, all right, so uh, this is the, uh, the subject that we're still on today. It's uh, perseverance, death, and glorification. So I'm just making part one, part two, and uh, we'll see how many parts we have. But uh, you can see from our little nifty chart that death obviously follows perseverance. So after living a life of persevering in the faith, the culmination of our perseverance is death. And so my job today is to try to get you excited about death. <laughs> you guys are going to walk out of here like with a death wish in a, in a very sanctified way. <laughs> no, but the reality is, is of course, is death is, um, death is ultimate. Death is final. Death is, um, you know, it is all determining. And it's amazing to me that as we live, we don't want to think of death, which is really, if you think about it, really ironic because uh, the majority of our existence uh, is going to begin when we die. <laughs> this life is going to feel like a dream very soon. It's going gonna, it's gonna to seem like it was just a, a passing, flickering moment, and it will be in light of eternity, right? So death, it just makes sense that we understand it, that we grasp it, that we talk about it and that we not be afraid of it. That's the, that's the big thing for us, right, is that um, it was John MacArthur who said that the death is the, what, what did he call it? He said death is the king of terrors. And uh, in, in a sense, that's true. I mean, it's very, uh, it's very frightening to us living creatures, right, that we are faced with the certain prospect of death and uh, the, what, the toll that that takes psychologically on the mind. Um, but uh, let me give you kind of a, a map of where we're going. Death in the intermediate state. That's really, uh, death in the in intermediate state is really what theologians like to talk about when they talk about death. Because death is not sort of like the end, right? Chris, did you have a question that I didn't get to you? Yeah, I was going to ask, um, yes, sir. Why, why, why did you place that as synergist? Why is that as synergist? Because we, because we are the ones who die. <laughs> right, just like conversion, you know, is is uh, synergistic or uh, repentance is just synergistic because we are the ones that repent. So, in a sense, yeah, death, whereas glorification is strictly monergistic. Right, God does not die on our behalf. Right, it is a work between God and the creature. So that's good. I didn't even, I didn't even uh, acknowledge that point. But you're right. Death is synergistic. Yeah, that's what classically where it's been placed. So, uh, because it is our death, we are the ones taking part in it, you know? Um, oh, there we go. You got me now? No. Good. Okay. So, uh, death in the intermediate state. Intermediate state really referring to what? Well, to the fact that when we die, uh, it is not uh, the end of the process. We still have a future process to undergo, namely resurrection, right? So that's why, if I go back to my nifty little chart here, you'll see glorification, right? Glorification is, I, I put down partial and total. And by partial, that's what I'm kind of referring to. I'm referring to the intermediate state. That is, if you die right now, right? If you die right now, where do you go? Where do you go right now? Where does your soul go? Marlene? Oh, you're pointing up. You're not asking for me to call on you. You're just pointing up. Okay. That's not, that's not too bad. You know? <laughs> so what does this mean? Well, if you're saved, heaven. 
That's right. That's right. If you die and if you're saved, you go to heaven. Um, or, for example, uh, we know there's scripture texts that talk about this. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse, verse 8, say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right? Which is a remarkable passage of scripture because... Uh, there and in other places, the Apostle Paul is striving to comfort the believer um, that the existence for a believer is not one of disembodiment. In other words, we are not in our ultimate, perfected, ideal state as a disembodied person. Meaning your soul without the body is not what you are meant to be, right? Yes, you are in heaven. Yes, you are in the presence of the Lord, but you have not yet reached the final culmination of your glorification. Right? That takes place when you are resurrected and when your body and your soul reunite in glorification, right? In glorification. And we'll look at glorification more extensively, but um, there's a lot to learn about glorification. You know, how many, how many of you have either said or have heard people say, I can't wait for my new body, right? Now, is there anything wrong with that statement? I can't wait for my new body. Is there anything wrong with that statement? So who said yeah? Maddie? It wasn't me. Oh. <laughs> who, who's that, Kristen? You, what's wrong with that? Idolatry, oh, in the sense of that you're looking forward to a new body, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, but I mean something a little bit different. There's something wrong theologically with that idea that you're looking forward to a new body. Does that need to be qualified at all? Chris, you raise your hand. Well, I wonder if you're thinking about the fact that it's not new in the sense of it's not—it's still this body. It's not a different body, right? It's a glorified this body. So here's a question, guys, right? When, when you are resurrected, will you have a brand new body or will it be the body that you're in now? Huh? I think I see it as, like, as, as new as in like, as in it's purified and it's no longer, um, it's, it's the same body, but it's, but it's no longer broken and it's more, more so like a healed body versus like, all the sin that remained and damaged it and destroyed it here. That's, that's kind of my picture. Not necessarily that you would look different or an appearance it would be. Totally yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you're on to something. So, for example, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just looking ahead, just wetting your palate a little bit and enticing you to stay with us, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. Um, I guess the best way that I could say it is that there is a there is a continuity and a discontinuity with this body. So, for example, look at verse forty-two. So, also is <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Um, where is the verse that I was looking for? Um, it's definitely there, verse forty-two. Yeah, we could just start there, forty-two. So, also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It, this body, is sown in dishonor. It, same body, 
is raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown as a natural body, raised as a spiritual body. Isn't that amazing? Um, when it says natural and spiritual there, um, it is not saying that we are going to be like a ghost, right? So if that's the image that you have in your mind, right, natural body really pertaining to what is physical, whereas natural, what I would say, is probably pertaining more to what is earthly, and spiritual body is pertaining to that which is heavenly. So uh, perish any thought that in heaven your soul, that God will create a new body out of nowhere and attach it to your soul so that the body, let's say, okay, let's fast forward your, es your eschatology here, okay, real quick. Let's say you died tomorrow, right? And um, your body is in the ground, but it doesn't decay to the point of, you know, dust and ashes and they're gone, right? And then, the, let's say the rapture takes place or the second coming takes place and the resurrection takes place and then you're resurrected. You're in heaven in the presence of God because that's what 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says. And it's not like God is going to say, okay, I have a storehouse of other bodies that you don't know of and I'm going to put a new body upon you, right? No, no, no. Your grave, the body in the grave will be resurrected, right? And therefore, people have asked the question, what about those people that have died for so long that all that remains is <laughs> irretrievable dust, right? Or maybe you've gone to the point where, right, it's broken down so bad that, I mean, we just, we really have no remains of your body. So, I mean, people get into, you know, God literally having the ability to resurrect your subatomic particles if he has to. I mean, God can take the elements of this physical body, no matter if you throw them into the sea and scatter them into the sky, it doesn't matter. God is able to take the elements back and resurrect your body. I mean, it's just really mind-blowing, right? But God is able to do it. Um, so just that idea of glorification, so that there's more to the doctrine of glorification than just you went to heaven, right? There's a lot of these different points of doctrine that are important because we don't want to walk away with this faulty idea. You know, because, so, so what is a consequence, perhaps? Let me ask this. What is a consequence of thinking that when you die and then you're glorified with your resurrected body, what is the, con maybe one consequence of thinking that you're going to get a new body, this one is gone? What is a consequence of thinking that way? Absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Thinking that, that what you do in this body really doesn't matter, right? And that is actually an old Gnostic heresy, right, Kato? It's an old Gnostic heresy that basically says that what you do with your body is irrelevant because what really matters, what's really precious about you is your soul. Your physical body, eh, it's, it's, it's evil anyway. It's, it's corrupt. It's fallen flesh. You know, who cares what you do with your body? No, God cares what you do with your body, absolutely. Mike? Yeah, I just was looking at Revelation 21, verse 5, mm -hmm. where it says, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, Life for these things, these words are faithful and true. Yeah, he's going to make all things new. He's not going to make all new things. Yeah. Little distinction, but that's important, right? He's going to make all things new, but he's not going to make all new things. 
right? I mean, what we know, what it corresponds from this realm, this dimension, this earth, this life, will have a re- some, some form of, or well, even Jesus uses the word regeneration, right? It'll be renewed. Uh, to what degree every aspect of this life will be renewed, uh, I'm not sure, but um, that's an important distinction. Yeah. We're thinking as adults, you know, that we die our bodies, but what about children? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Great question. Any thoughts about that, anyone? Uh, any thoughts of how you would conceive of what happens to a child who has died and resurrected? Um, are they, are, are children that die and receive a glorified body, are they going to have a little, a little baby's body, a, a five-year-old's body? Um, and then what text could you possibly go to to even talk about that? Yes, ma'am. What even about like miscarriages and stuff like that? Or miscarriage? They have a body, right? Yeah. Even a miscarried baby has a flesh. So how would we, how would we think about that? I mean, are there going to be, you know, people in heaven with the body of a miscarried baby walking around? Yes, Mike. Jesus said that uh, as I am. Very good. That's a great text. Yeah, that's right. We, we will see him. For we, we, we will be as he is, right? Where's that at? First John chapter 3? I can't remember. I think it's First John 3. Hmm? I think that's the text that I would go to, Mike. Is I, I think I would make a case, I would case, I would make a case with Adam and Eve that that um, they were made in their mature state, right? Um, Christ saying that we will be as he is. So everything speaks of maturity, right? That we will be in our mature state. That's why, uh, take, it the other, take it to the other extreme. Is an 80-year-old person going to have an 80-year-old person's body? No, we expect them to be back to their penultimate, right, moment in time, right? Their, 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 their ultimate phys- physique and their ultimate maturity before it was before it's too young and before it got too old. <laughs> yeah, we're all looking forward to that, right? <laughs> yes, Tony. Uh, it's a text here in First uh, Corinthians fifteen thirty-eight. It says, "But God gives it a body as it has pleased Him, mm-hmm. and to every seed His own body." That's right. Yeah, yeah. As as it pleases Him, and it pleases God to give us a spiritual body. That's the whole point, right? Um, and we really were following after the pattern of Christ. Right? Christ really is the prototypical resurrected one right? who has ascended to ultimate spiritual life. Right? And I get that from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last man, Ad- the last Adam, talking about Jesus, the second Adam, he became a life-giving spirit. Now that's remarkable because what that really is talking about is that Jesus ascended into, um, into the ultimate phase of spiritual life where literally as a resurrected, assault, exalted person, his, his being became truly spiritual in every sense of the way, no longer susceptible right, to... Um, to the, the corruption of the fall, uh, all of that. So that's why he's taking us back to Adam. Right? He's taking us back to the, the, to the Adamic idea 
of a physical fallen human as contrast to Jesus who will be an exalted, glorified, perfectly spiritual human. <laughs> right? It's just really remarkable. So, uh, but that's more glorification kind of talk. Um, what we want to do right now is talk about death. So before we get to the glorification part, we've got to talk about death. And what I want to look at is what, what is the cause and purpose of death? Okay? You know, I began with this point because Wayne Grudem points this out. Death is not a punishment for Christians. Now, we might overlook that, but I think it's important to understand because we may not necessarily view uh, the point of death, the point that the soul departs from the body as punishment from God. But, but have you ever been tempted to think that when you got sick, right, that you're being punished by God? You ever gone through that? Many people go through that. And in the Christian life, it's almost, it's almost part of the Christian life to think that way. To think that if, if bad health is befalling me and not my brother or my sister, right, then what did I do wrong? What did I do to deserve this, right? And so we have to come to grips with the fact that it is not necessarily a chastisement in the sense of there's a one-to-one -one correspondence, right? You did this wrong, therefore you get a brain tumor, right? Um, I think even put it this way, guys, if you have to sit there and wonder, what did I do, right? That, what did I do to deserve this sickness, this condition, this disease, whatever it may be, then if you really have to think of it that way, I can pretty much guarantee you, you didn't do anything to get that, right? Um, I, I think we have to bear that in mind because it's not like God is punishing you with the fact that you came down with leukemia or the fact that you came down with, uh, you know, with, with a brain tumor or lung cancer or uh, you have heart issues or whatever it may be, right? Um, you can even say the same for calamity, you know what I mean? The same for calamity. Uh, when terrible things happen that are just inexplicable, that are just uh, trials that are just uh, ridiculous and absurd. Stephen Curtis Chapman, right? His teenager backs up and runs over his, what, seven-year-old uh, adopted daughter and kills her. Um, I mean, you want to talk about a trial where you may be tempted like, to ask God, why? Why did this happen, right? I'm sure Stephen Curtis Chapman's son probably beat himself up for, he probably still, still probably struggles with that to this day, of asking the question, why, why me? <laughs> You know what I mean? And, and why did I have to go through this, right? And so the reality is, is that, that uh, you know, like uh, Romans 8, 1 says, I mean, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God is not out to condemn us uh, with the fact that we're going to die, we're going to get sick, we're going we're gonna to succumb uh, to these things. This is why, for example, the word of faith doctrine is so reprehensible, right? The word of faith doctrine that people preach is so reprehensible because what it says is uh, uh, a sign of spiritual blessing is materialistic blessing, physical blessing, right? Your health, right? And, and, and just a, 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 um, an absence of trials and that that is somehow a sign of spiritual blessing. Well, <laughs> tell that to Jesus, right? Who said in this life, you will have trials. 
right? Tell that to Peter and James and everybody else who said, look, don't think it's something strange if you fall into various trials, right? As though something strange has happened to you, as Peter says, right? No, it's not strange. And the reason why is because the second point is because death is the final outcome of living in a fallen world. That's right. That's a, that's a true point. Uh, Genesis 1.17. You guys know what that says? Genesis 1. Yes, you do, but maybe not by memory. <laughs> I guarantee you, you do know what that says. That is where God tells Adam and Eve, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, you will die. And they ate, and they began to die that instant, and ultimately they died. And so trials, and including death, of course, is a result of the fall. Did you have a question? 217. Uh, 217, sorry, typo. There's no typo in the Bible, just in my notes. That's it. PowerPoint is not infallible. Genesis 2.17. Sorry about that. No wonder you didn't know what Gen- <laughs> No wonder what you didn't know what Genesis 1.17 said. <laughs> so that's not what it said. It's 2.17. Thank you. Um, uh, let's look at uh, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, just to see this Adamic idea being carried out, okay? Romans chapter 5, beginning verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, okay, so now we understand that, right? Through Adam, sin came into the world, right? And then it says, and death through sin. See that? So why did people die? I I, I often do this at UNT. I stand up and preach on a soapbox at UNT, and I'll have a crowd bigger than this, uh, a bunch of young college students. I ask them, why do we die? What do we, what what do you mean, why do we die? Everybody knows why we die. Why? Because we get old. Why? Because our cells break down, you dummy. <laughs> it's a lot more vile than that. But <laughs> I said, why? Why do cells break down? Because of the second law of thermodynamics. Why do we have a second law of thermodynamics? Because we live in a, a universe that's running out of energy. Why do we live in a universe that's running out of energy? <laughs> right? And it's because of Romans chapter 5, verse 12. <laughs> it's not because of evolution or science, right? It's because of the principle, not of entropy, but of the principle of sin. That's why we're running out of energy. That's why our cells break down. That's why you can only study the half-life of something and determine, you know, it's, everything is running out of fuel. Our sun, this is a ter- terrifying idea, right? Our sun right now, Uh, is running out of energy, which means, and they know this for certain, that one day the sun will not be there. (laughs) So I'm not a prophet or the son of the prophet, but I can tell you this much. The second coming of Jesus Christ will happen before the sun runs out of energy. (laughs) Because they're saying that's going to be in billions and billions of years, right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. So that's my prediction. But you see that there, and then there is an interesting phrase here. I don't know if you guys caught it in verse 12. It says, and death through sin, and so death, watch this, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's a very interesting phrase. Um, 
that has been at the very heart of some very deep theological debate as to how do we understand this causal phrase, because all have sinned or all sinned, because it almost sounds like what he's saying is that by sinning, right, you become a sinner, right? Uh, everyone sin, uh, says uh, death spreads to all men because we sin. Um, and so some would even say that that's the sin that that's talking about is the sin that we committed in Adam, our federal head, our representative head. So anyway, that's, um, I don't want to get too bogged down there, but uh, let me read to you um, this quote by Grudem because I think it, it was really good. He says, Christians, well, as well as non-Christians experience aging, illness, injuries, and natural disasters such as floods, uh, violent storms, and earthquakes. Although God often answers prayers to deliver Christians and also non-Christians from some of these effects of the fall, some of these effects of the fall, for a time, and thereby indicates the nature of his coming kingdom. Oh, why he had to throw that in there, but okay, I understand. He says, nevertheless, Christians eventually experience all of these things to some measure, and until Christ returns, all of us will grow old and die. The last enemy has not yet been destroyed, um, and God has chosen to allow us to experience death before we gain all the benefits of salvation that have, that have been earned for us. So, I mean, just this idea that, look, it, it is part of living in a sinful world that we will experience calamity uh, in this world. We're not promised an easy life. We're not promised to escape the tornado, the earthquake, the hurricane, you know, all of these things. I mean, uh, it's just a, a fact of life. Any questions on that at all? You sure? Hmm. Okay, next. <clears throat> what is the cause or the purpose of death? This is very, um, this was very comforting to me. And that is that God uses, uses the experience of death to complete our sanctification. It is part of our sanctification. It's part of our sanctification. God uh, sanctifies us with the idea of death. Um, and let me ask you this question. How may death be sanctifying to you, to me? How? How does God use death to sanctify us? Yes, ma'am? Mm. Mm. Very good. Knowing that you do have an end and that there's a number to your days, right? So basically what David prayed, right? Learn, uh, Lord, teach me to uh, uh, number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom, right? So death is very instructive to us because it teaches us about our mortality. It teaches us that, yes, life has a goal, right? I mean, you talk to people, it's in us. But you talk to people, they think their life will go on and on and on and on, right? They just, they have no care of judgment, no care of God, no care of death, no idea that one day they're going to be standing before a living God and they're going to be giving account for their life. None of that, right? What is, there, there's even a, maybe you guys can Google it, but there's a, there's a verse in the, uh, my, my wife probably knows, there's a verse in the, in, the, in the prophets that says that, that basically the imagination of the wicked is that he will abide in his house forever. That's what he thinks. He thinks he's just, I don't know, is it Amos or something? He, he thinks that he will just go on and on forever, that he's just going to go, you know, come, come and go forever. 
He's always going to be shopping. He's always going to be coming and going, buying and selling, right? And then there's going to be no end to this life. But if anything, but if Christianity tells us anything, it's that our life is short and then we face God. Um, and that's why life is so serious. And that's why we should take our lives so serious, right? That's why Christianity can never be done in cruise control. Christianity, Christianity is, just, is not just kind of a take it or leave it kind of thing. Christianity is not just a conversation. I'm so tired of that word conversation, right? <laughs> it's just everything is a conversation. You know? It's like everything is geared to make you feel like you're sitting down at Starbucks. It's like, no, it's not. Life is not just an endless conversation. Life is linear and it is telic, meaning it has a goal, right? It has a goal in mind. Do you have something, Trish? Oh, yeah, the meaningless use of conversation. Yeah. It's become kind of like the drip pan, the catch-all phrase for everything, right? Oh, yeah, we're having a conversation about that. Anyway, yeah, the, I, I, was, I was, see, I, 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 I dump it all on Trish. All of my righteous indignation gets dumped out on her. Yeah, he was asked a question, direct question about homosexuality, and his answer was something like, well, that's why, you know, we, we're having a, a conversation regarding all of these things. It's an important conversation. You know, it's just conversation, conversation. Conversation has become the word that you use when you don't want to say anything. <laughs> you know, so it's very postmodern. Uh, doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be. Al Mohler uses the word conversation a lot, so I've got to be careful. You're not postmodern because you use the word conversation. Um, so it's, look, turn to Romans, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, because <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12 tells us something about the nature of, of discipline in the Christian life. That, and I would say death is part of that, right? I would say death is part of the Christian's formative discipline. Maybe not necessarily corrective discipline, right? It can be, don't get me wrong, there are, there are definitely uh, examples and stories and there are accounts of people who maybe through death, had God literally chastised a person through death, okay? Um, Ananias and Sapphira, I don't know, could that have been uh, corrective discipline on God's part? Um, I don't know, 1 Corinthians, chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul there talks about the fact that God, uh, and I would, I would just say that what he's, what he's what it reflects is discipline by the Lord that because people have profaned the table of the Lord by neglecting the Lord's Supper, right? Some have even fallen asleep, Paul says. So some have even died as a result of profaning God's Supper. Wow, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's incredible. But understanding the purpose of discipline. You see that in chapter 12, verse 6, for example, says, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now jump down to verse 10. It says, for they disciplined us, talking about earthly fathers, for a short time as seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. Remarkable, is it not? All discipline for the moment seems to be seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Uh, yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So, even through our trials, our sicknesses, and even our, the, our death, 
God is disciplining us to think like him, to be like him. And I got to tell you, I mean, having the privilege of talking to some saints as they're getting ready to die and meet the Lord, uh, or the Bible would say they're getting ready to fall asleep, because that's really all that it is. It's just a momentary sleep, an intermediate state, and then they awaken in resurrection glory, right, in their their bodies. But, uh, well, of course, their soul goes to be with the Lord. But uh, I got to tell you, you know, um, I've, I've talked to believers just like you on their deathbed and sat there and praying for them and holding their hand and looking into their eyes and talking to them. And they have this renewed sense of sobriety. And the, the only thing they want to even think about is the Lord and, and, and being pleasing to him and walking with him. I mean, just talking about it, right, is sanctifying, <laughs> right? It gets a hold of us like... Wow, you know, we, our, our life is not only short, our life is very serious. You know, it's very, very serious. So, um, also, let's look at uh, Philippians chapter 3, if you haven't looked at that already. Philippians chapter 3 um, is really the way that we ought to look at death. It says in verse 10, that I may know him, that's Christ, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So death is the path to glory. It is the path to resurrection glory. And we will all take the path. Unless the Lord returns, if the Lord tarries, but if the, Lord, if the Lord tarries, we will all go in the same path that Jesus went. We will be conformed to his death. We will experience what it means to have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But the good news is, is that we, we don't have to fear. Um, we don't have to fear. Burkhoff, in his systematic theology, <laughs> says, uh, while death in itself remains a real natural evil for the children of God, now, let's, let's, let's think about that, right? What he's saying is, is here is that death, let's not overlook the idea that death is a natural evil, as Burkhoff calls it, right? That, that in other words, it's an evil that takes place in the natural realm that we have to deal with, right? We never, we never want to talk about death as if it's something that is just part of life, right? You ever heard of that? Well, death is just part of life, right? That is a total contradiction to the Word of God. Death is not just part of life. Death is not, we never want to treat death like death is just this, you know, neutral thing. It's no big deal. I mean, understand that as a believer, yes, we have victory over death, right? Uh, The sting of death has been removed, all of that, right? But we still have to acknowledge death for what it is. It is an evil, right? It It is the most unnatural thing that we will ever have to go through right, is death. And he says, which is dreaded by them as such, death. It is made subservient in the economy of grace to their spiritual advancement. What does that mean? That death has become subservient to our spiritual advancement. What does that mean? Huh? Huh? What do you think, Tony? I think that it means that... uh... It's being used. 
So death is to our advantage. That's what he's saying, right? It's become subservient. What, how does he say it? Uh, to their spiritual advancement. So in other words, death is a tool to advance us spiritually. <laughs> right? It's, an, it's a promotion, right? It's how we're going to get promoted, right? As some people have said. You know, um, he says, and to the best interests of the kingdom of God. This is how God's kingdom is going to be realized, in other words. He goes on. The very thought of death, the bereavements through death, the feeling that sickness and suffering are harbingers of death, and the, and the uh, consciousness of the approach of death all have a very beneficial effect on the people of God. That is absolutely true. And in a sense, you know, I, I, I joke about my wife, Trish, because she's always talking about death, always, constantly, nonstop, every day, talking about death. So I, I should have this mastered <laughs> by now, right? My wife has this, like, sanctified, morbid interest in death. I don't even know how to put it, right? But she is constantly talking to me about death, right? I said, Trish, I'd like to die only once. I don't need to die every day. You know what I mean? But the way you talk to me, it's like I'm dying every day. I'm on the brink of death. You know, so it's okay. It's sanctifying. It's sanctifying. And she quotes those verses to me, you know, that I may gain a heart of wisdom. All of that, you know. Um, but it is sanctifying for us. Look at First uh, Peter chapter 4. I could just read it here for you. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing." as though some strange thing were happening to you. We have to get this. So that when a trial comes in, what we should immediately think is, oh, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> right? It should be like a familiar face. Right? When a trial comes into your life, you should be like, there you are. I've been wondering when you were going to show up. Right? Because it's been a while. And uh, you ever feel like that? Things are going real good, and you're just thinking in your mind, okay, things have been going real good for too long. Something's going to go wrong here. <laughs> so, amen. Don't think it strange when it comes knocking on your door. But watch, look at this, verse 13. This is amazing here. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. That's, that's an interesting phrase. Um, Keep on rejoicing. Now, how do we interpret that? Verse 13, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. So there's a degree in which we suffer with Christ or share in his sufferings, right? How, how? is everything sharing in the suffering of Christ? Is all suffering... Um, Sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Is it some suffering, chastisement? Uh, chastisement, like correction, like we right. were saying? Right. Maybe? Persecution? Persecution? Could it be considered a, a perfecting, a sanctifying work in suffering? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But I, I, what I'm trying to appreciate is... Uh, Peter's words here when he says 
to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ. So to me, it's almost as if what he has in mind is kind of a specific kind of suffering. And I think Gail's right. I think it is persecution that he's really has in mind because the context of Peter is definitely persecution and that's going on. You know, um, people have been afflicted. I mean, it's just, it's all over the book of Peter. Persecution, persecution, persecution. So I think definitely persecute, being persecuted for uh, your faith is probably the ultimate expression of this. Uh, yes, sir? Yeah, just to answer your question about um, is all suffering, um, you know, um, I would say no because verse 15, mm-hmm. he says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, you know. Very good. He goes on to explain. Right. Yeah, I think it's persecution. So not suffering for your own foolishness. Right. So if you suffer for your own foolishness, don't say, oh, I'm suffering with right. Christ. Right? <laughs> no, you're suffering for your own folly, right? Uh, you didn't pay that bill or you didn't pay that ticket or, you know what I mean, or you cheated on your taxes or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, there's a Christian leader who cheated on his taxes and is now out of prison and I was very disappointed to see his, one of his opening public statements, and he just proceeded to rag on the law and talk about he, how he was right and how he... Anyway, um, should he suffer again? I'll tell you right now, that's not sharing in the suffering of Christ. <laughs> it's not sharing in the suffering of Christ, okay? Pay your taxes. Don't be a fool so that you won't suffer for your own foolishness, right? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> Okay, fourth, the cause or purpose of death. Our experience of death completes our union with Christ. That's right, it just it, it consummates our union with Christ. So turn to Romans 8, Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, Got a few minutes here. Romans chapter 8, beginning of verse 16. Right, it says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are ch- children of God. And if children... Heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Watch this. If indeed we suffer with him so that we also may be glorified with him. So I think there where he says, if we suffer with Christ, I think he's taking the totality of Christian suffering into account. Trials, death, everything. So that if we, this is in other words, where he says here, if we suffer with him, I think that's another way of saying, if you persevere to the end in the midst of your suffering, of your trials, you can have this hope and this assurance. You will be glorified with him. You will be glorified with him. Another uh, aspect as far as our union with Christ. <clears throat> Everybody understand what we mean by union with Christ? Because union with Christ is really the very, how should we say this? The doctrine of union with Christ is the bedrock of all of our uh, uh, salvation. The entire doctrine of soteriology rests upon union with Christ. Right? Um, because we are united to him, we are chosen in him. Because we are united to him, we are uh, we are made alive in him. We are justified in him, right? We are going to be glorified in him because of union with Christ. That's one. It's the most important thing. So look at uh, chapter 8, verse 11. It really stresses this union 
with Christ in this context. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. By the way, did you notice that? Verse 11, uh, first, first part there, verse 11. This is a text that teaches that the spirit rose Jesus from the dead. Uh, there are not a lot of these texts, so hold on to that one, right? But if that same spirit that rose, that's the Holy Spirit, rose Jesus from the dead, if that same spirit dwells in you, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the same spirit that gave life to Jesus, rose him and brought him out of the grave is the same spirit that is going to, because we're in union with Christ, is going to raise us up from the grave as well. So our union with Christ is completed through death. It's where we, we reach the ultimate climax. Um, the reality of death is not the end. That's the other thing to see. And this kind of spills into uh, glorification. This is what Burkhoff says. Death is not the end for believers. I like that. Who can say that? Right? Who, who, which one of your neighbors, which one of your friends, students, who in the culture can speak like this with certainty, with conviction, with boldness, with confidence, right? You talk to people about death, what do they say? Well, I think, right? Well, I just believe, right? I imagine it will be, right? They have no earthly idea what they're talking about. But only in Christ can we say with certainty, death is not the end. Right? Death is not the end. Did you guys see the video, Death is Not Dying? Trish, what was that, that yeah, sister's name? The lady that, um, you can just YouTube it. It's very powerful. I encourage you all to do it. Yeah, Death is Not Dying. She did a huge talk. She talked to a huge audience, and she... She had terminal cancer, and she's reaching the end of her days, and she's just spewing out all this wisdom. It's amazing, amazing. Very, very powerful. Really encourage you to watch it. Um, but she understood death is not dying. Death is not the end. Right? Uh, they enter death with the assurance that its sting has been removed. I hope that's the way that we're all going to enter death, folks that we will have the same confidence Burkhoff is talking about here, that we will know that we can have the assurance that the sting of death is removed. Really, really nothing to fear in death for the believer. Nothing but comfort. It should be just a gracious comfort, right, to you on the day of your death um, as you sit there, if God gives you the, uh, the luxury of a deathbed, right? Not everybody has the luxury of a deathbed. But if you do have the luxury of a deathbed, to be filled with thoughts that what's coming is not going to hurt. <laughs> what's coming should not terrorize you. What's coming is, is not going to sting you. Right? Um, just remarkable. That it is for us, let me just change it here, the gateway of heaven. So turning the loss in death into gain. Whatever loss you may conceive of in death, 
turning that into gain. And you know where I'm getting that from, right? Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So how do we get to the point in our lives where we're walking around genuinely convinced in our mind, death is gain, right? I will say, make sure you have the first part of the verse. If Christ is your life, right, then death is gain, right? But don't expect death to be gain if Christ is not your life. If you were in this life, if you were filled with all sorts of other priorities, other things took your imagination away, you were filled and you were enraptured and in love with everything under the sun except Christ. Don't expect at the end of your life maybe to be dominated with a worldview that says death is gain, right? But the beautiful promise for us is that if we have Jesus genuinely as our spiritual infatuation, then we will have gain in death, the ultimate gain. This is what gain looks like, 2 Timothy 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Uh, See, all of that has to be there. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Oh, let me die like this, right? Let me die like this. Let me not die, you know, if, if I live to be an old man, looking back and say, oh, you should have seen when I was real spiritual. Oh, you, I was a pastor once. I used to preach the word of God. You know, I, was, I was really into it back then. God forbid. God forbid. As I die as an old man, Lord willing, I hope to be speaking like this. I have fought the fight down to the very end. I'm talking about apologetics, <laughs> right? To the very end, right? I'm talking about defending the faith, keeping the faith. Right? Not compromising the gospel to the very end. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's remarkable. That's, that's it right there. I mean... Study that verse. I, you, wanna, you want a uh, systematic theology on death? Take this passage out of 2 Timothy, read a few commentaries on it, and I will say that you have a seminary education on death. <laughs> Just from the words of the Apostle Paul right here, rightly explained, rightly exposited, rightly understood. Um, you'll be blessed. Okay, well, this, the death of this Sunday school class is here, so <laughs> we've got to go before we get in more trouble.